Neither of us can beatbox and won't make a poor attempt at butchering the fine craft like many of our fellow Holy Moly competitors. We're just here to wrap the season and put a cherry on the M&M-sponsored Sunday located near the Distractor. It's time to rock the mics on the podcast. Whether you went deep into each frame of every episode of the debut Australian Holy Moly season or caught glimpses of our screen grabs on social media, make sure you're following us. Come take a stroll along with us to talk about the first international season. We're happy to be your tour guides to our favorite network television putting show, Down Under. You can call me Mr. T or just Tom is okay too. I'm one half of a couple of putts, a mini golf design and consultation endeavor. A couple of putts started and continues to be a place for myself and my wife, the pink putter to document our passion for all things mini golf find all of our work over at a couple and on social media at couple putts i'm pat in mini golf circles i'm known as the putting penguin i run the mini golf course review website and social media conglomerate putting penguin i'm also a competitive mini golfer having played in over 60 tournaments as of last weekend the two of us are pro mini golf esports competitors we're also real podcasters too Some may call this an unlucky 13th episode, but for us, it marks a heck of an opening run to our show. You probably didn't notice as we've been very slowly editing and releasing podcast episodes, but we had to take a break in talking about Holy Moly in Australia for a couple of weeks before recording this episode. This season's been a lot. As I've mentioned previously on the podcast, the show's ratings reflect this quite well. People lost interest as the season moved towards the finale. Fortunately, the show appears to be set for a second season on Australia, and they plan on releasing one episode a week in the future. Thank you. Fingers crossed they get more people from the mini golf world next season. So as Tom mentioned up top, on this episode, we're going to give the Australian season a big wrap up and touch on all the things we loved, liked, hated, want to change, and perhaps we're just generally indifferent about. Since you are listening, don't forget to subscribe and give us a hole-in-one rating. Before we look back, let's look forward with some holy moly news. First, let's talk about the U.S. season. We know seasons three and four have recently filmed, and from what we've heard, there'll be nine episodes and a finale for each of these seasons. We expect season three to drop this summer. Yes. With season four coming after a long wait in 2022. Perhaps we'll be out of quarantine by then. As Tom mentioned, we've also got word that season two in Australia seems likely a go, and that will potentially open the door for more international seasons also having a future. Would have surprised us a little bit if they had set up all of this for just one COVID-drenched season. And before we get to the holes and some of our recap later on, we do just want to remind people that originally, the Australian season was supposed to film on the U.S. set. So a lot of the holes that they played are familiar to at least our U.S. viewers because... It was their original intention to play them. And finally, after many years of us talking about that they should have done this the moment that season one launched, ABC has finally opened up some Holy Moly merch on their Shop ABC site. It's a pretty good selection of items, even if the prices are a little bit wonky. And I know both of us, along with several other alumni and friends, are anxiously waiting some orders to come in. And it's much better than buying it via Redbubble, which... We did order some bootleg Holy Moly merch last year. The quality, eh, it's kind of questionable, but what can you do? We we were craving something Holy Moly to hold on to because we didn't have anything else. So we worked with what we had. 
And we immediately turned into the fry, shut up and take my money meme the second we saw the yes, site. Yes, 100%. And I'm still waiting for the socks to come back in stock. But <laughs> enough about merch and being nerds. Well, maybe we're going to be nerds because we're going to get into the numbers and we're going to get really nerdy. And I'm just going to kind of run through some things and we'll post more about it on social media. But many of you know the Australian season of Holy Moly had 13 episodes. We had 10 competitive episodes that resulted in 10 people playing in one finale, a junior episode, a celebrity episode, and a special that we haven't seen along with the celebrity episode. Maybe someday send us a YouTube link. We're not dying to see it, either of them though. As far as aces, or otherwise known as hole-in-ones, there was three in the Australian season. Two of them were on foul play, and one of them was on Frankenpot. We're not really counting the hole-in-one that won the whole season on the Tomb of Nevertiti or the Distractor, because both of those holes can't be finished without getting a hole-in-one. And we at least know at the finale that people didn't get it on the first putt. And with the Distractor, maybe some of the people got it on their first putt, but it's hard to tell. So assuming we don't see any of the U.S. Season 2 and Australian Holy Moly holes again, no one has aced Dragon's Breath, hole number two, Surf and Turf, which is also known as Water Hazard in the U.S., Slip and Putt, which has been on all three seasons, Barbecue, which was known as Buns and Wieners in the U.S., or Clowning Around. One thing we will say is that besides Slip and Putt, a lot of those holes, the thing that's in common with them is they weren't shown that many times in either of those seasons. Two holes that were impossible to ace, Putt the Plank and Polcano. We're not sure if there was a way that this show would stop them from being aced because it really wasn't up to the putter, but neither have been aced that we've seen on TV. Let's jump into the obstacles. During this season, nobody completed barbecue and no one got past the first blade on Dutch Courage. We talked about that a little bit in episode number 10. It's just moving too fast. And as we found out in the junior episode, was moving so fast that we had a parent of a child who was putting get injured badly enough that they could not continue. Only one person in all of the Australian Holy Moly completed hole number two, Polcano, Uranus, and Surf and Turf. We have a ton of nerd stats that we'll be posting on social media. I made a spreadsheet and everything. It's pretty bad. The obstacle completion rate in general was 25% at best. And on a lot of the holes, it was really, really low. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. But I'm going to have Pat move into the next section of our little recap episode here. Okay, so we're going to lead off with some of the positive stuff and talk about, for us, what worked throughout the season. And we're going to try to limit ourselves to three in parts of things as we get on in a tradition that I think mirrors one of our favorite podcasts, Binge Mode. Mm. And uh, shouts to Mallory Rubin and turning a top three into a top 45 every time she does a list lover. Uh, so I'm going to start out. Um, so I think for me, probably the number one thing that worked for me was just the format of the episodes that they decided to do. The head-to-head -head competitions that whittled down with the eight competitors and then throwing in that redemption hole. I thought it just really worked in all the episodes, um, especially the way the season was laid out. You know, at first we were like, eh, the redemption hole doesn't really seem to come into play because nobody ever won that and then won the final. And then we went on a streak where everybody was winning the final hole who came out of the redemption piece. And I think that just makes for an interesting dynamic. I don't think it takes away at all from the people who kind of made the final organically because, you know, 
to to win the final, you're now going from winning three matches to four matches, which is just incredibly difficult in that particular setting of filming. Um, I think just all that together so far for me of the three seasons that we've watched is the format of the episode that I like the best. I think it provides more drama in the end. I can't tell whether or not they did that because they had a longer broadcast spot on TV down in Australia, but I do hope that they're doing that in the U.S. of Holy Moly. I didn't hear anything back or any whispers from set about that, but it's a cool little uh, opportunity to make sure you have a much more competitive final. What worked for me and has kind of worked in the show in general is the costume characters, but I liked how they leveled up this season on Foul Play where you actually had a costumed chicken character who's delivering the ball to the drop zone. I think the more that they can bring in these costumed characters and do little bits, for me, it's really fun. It represents sort of the imagination of mini golf, and it makes it a much more playful, competitive show that's distinct from other you know game shows out there or competition shows out there. So that's the thing that really works for me, and I hope they build on that. And going back to the merch store, they certainly are leaning heavily on Sir Golf. So Take my money. I mean, very, it, it is a Disney production at the end of the day. So I'm not surprised at all that they can leverage costume characters the way they do. Uh, so my next thing, Tom, hit a little bit about um, which tailored in or tied into my first point was the, the extra length of the episode. One of the things that we've talked about on the U.S. side of the house is you know, they're really limited to that hour format, which is you know, boils down to about 44 actual minutes of runtime. And certainly the first season got hammered with the extra amount of competitors. Um, the second season was a little bit better because they cut back. But here you've got a smaller amount of competitors. You've got a longer runtime. And it just made it feel like there was more room for the show to have that organic growth during the episode, um, whether it was adding the redemption hole to fill it up, but it also gave people you know, more face time, more of that 15 minutes of fame, get their story out there. I, I felt like we knew the players a whole lot better mm -hmm. by the time we got to the end of the episode and certainly made our job a little bit easier recapping it because <laughs> we had more to, to, to work on as well. So I don't know if that's something that can necessarily carry over to all the different you know, countries that run it or if it would work in, in every format. But I think that paired with how they had formatted the episode worked well for the Australian season. We're pro, more holy moly. And then longer episodes does that for us. The thing that from day one that I've loved about the show is just the overall set. It's beautiful. You know, my wife being mini golf, like designers and having worked in fabrication shops, we know that the price tag of something like that is pretty much cost prohibitive for anything like this to ever be in public. So it's a little bit of like a fantasy hour when you turn on the TV and watch Holy Moly. You get to see just what a major network budget can do with building mini golf holes that are fully immersive and you get to follow the ball on the path all sorts of wild obstacles. So I really like that. And what I've loved every season is that whether it's holes that are returning or holes that have been there since season one, that they've done really, really clever and subtle iterating. I think about like clowning around where the putting on it in season two in the US was fine, but I thought the spinning platform this season was really cool. It was a nice little embellishment and it just, it, it worked for making it a better mini golf hole overall. I think in Dragon's Breath, oddly enough, they got rid of a little bit of the clutter where you saw some of the putters getting stuck behind 
little rocks and little nooks and crannies that I think it takes people out of the experience in the same way like a bad mini golf course design does, where people are getting stuck in areas where it's just more frustrating than fun. So yeah, and hole number two, as much as it was a nice and fun, challenging hole in season two of Holy Moly, I do like that they made it a little less aggressively challenging this season. I'm sure our friend Aaron Kaminsky wished the whole placement was different in season two. Overall, I think they're making a lot of the right moves in the way that they're adjusting everything. I think sticking in kind of the mini golf nerd world, I mean, we've obviously both played combined hundreds of courses and you know, by far the best ones are the ones who do a similar thing, right? They, they tinker with their course, mm-hmm. they change a hole, mm-hmm. they put the hole someplace else, and, and it makes you want to come back and play it again. And I think that's really smart here because it, it, it can get, and I think we saw this with the way they rolled the show out in so many episodes at a time, feel a little repetitive, but season to season you've really had enough change up between new holes and adjustments to holes that it feels fresh each, each season so far. So my my last one of what really worked, and I think this is a common theme for all of the seasons and really what makes it work as a, a television show that you want to watch are, are the commentators. And so you know, obviously Riggle being that monument that stands there and just can carry the show by himself. But I was really pleasantly surprised with Shervo because I think Joe Tessitore in the U.S. has been an excellent straight man to wriggle and having, you know, not knowing Shervo, not being Australian, not having any of that background, seeing him step in. And I think it felt maybe a little rough, you know, the first couple episodes in terms of them hitting it. But by the end, they were just unbelievable and just added that level of entertainment. Sonia was great as, you know, the the onset reporter. And um, it's kind of the same thing. They really got her more involved the way they had gotten Jeannie more involved, especially in season two in the US. And, you know, if you take any of that out of the show... It just isn't the show that it is. And I'm glad Mm -hmm. that they really found that and it hit for them in the season. And I was told that initially when they announced the Australian season that they were going to have a different color person or a different commentator person with Riggle that had either done Australian rules football or rugby. And I watched a clip of their calls and I was like, I don't know how well that would have actually matched with Riggle as far as a straight man. They were like really excited and they were like one of those people that just yelled and got, you know, worked up and I was like, does that work? But I don't know. I'll be honest. I don't know Joe Tessitore's work in in the sporting world either. And he works well with Riggles. So yeah, they've been really nailing that. And I think the thing that they've nailed pretty well over all of the seasons that I think there there being some complaints from us and from some people outside of it on the putting that I think by and large, all the competitors have been really fun. There's a spirit and camaraderie that we experienced on set. And we've talked with people from all of the seasons, both online and offline. And it seems like that's holding true. I think the spirit of the set and that the way that production sets it up, you just end up having this really nice competitive spirit that's not too mean, that's not too aggressive. And you don't really see that too much on TV. You see people helping each other up on slip and putt. You see people cheering for each other when they're trying to get through something or if they, you know, miss a putt and just encouraging them to do better. 
I know like even myself, when I played Slip and Putt, I had won out and I had sort of like encouraged production just to let my competitor finish. Like we're all going to be there for a very short period of time. And I think the type of people they cast, they've done a really good job. So kudos to casting. P.S. We're always happy to fill in whenever you need us. So there's our plug for ourselves once again. We'll pretty much do anything to get on set. Yeah. And I think it's it's almost jarring in a way when you have some of the competitors that yes. don't fit that mold. And I, you know, I understand that it is still reality television and that there is a, a portion of you wanting to have the, the heel yes. know, in there. But I think more as they go along, I hope that they see like, it's just, it's not as good a fit for this type of show. And it's just much better when you've got, you know, whatever amount of competitors on an episode, just really bringing the spirit of mini golf, right? Because you, you, when you're on a mini golf course, you want to be there with the people and have a good time. And that's why people go on dates and double dates and big group things to mini golf. And you want that spirit to carry over into this type of show. And like you said, I think for the most part, they're really nailing it. And so Again, we're limiting ourselves to what we love about the show, but we really love it, and we're going to be continuing to do recaps. What didn't work down in Australia? I've beat this into the ground throughout the season, and it's not just because we're trying to make a podcast and keep up with it, but the pace of the release of the episodes is too much. People don't want to like binge a show like this, especially when you just can't have all new holes each episode. And the hard part is, is you have a hard time really gaining any stakes an investment in any of the people if it's just moving so fast and you can't keep up who's doing what. I mean, there are 80 competitors. That's that's a lot of people to keep track of. And even 10 episode winners and remembering who won what as people who watched every episode, that was hard. So I'm glad to know that they're just going to be going to the once a week for episodes, not only for our purposes, but I think they're going to see a different response in the audiences, or at least we hope so. So for me, one of the things that I think didn't hit, and this is kind of a two-parter, but specifically the the dating episode. And, you know, I don't know from a strictly Australian perspective if it did, because we had the benefit of seeing season two in the US where it was branded as the Bachelor episode because the Bachelor was on ABC. And it just felt like comparatively when you brought that name to it, you brought Chris Harrison, you brought all of the the stuff that the Bachelor does. It elevated that type of um, themed episode a lot more than what we saw here. I also think kind of combined what didn't work for me was having the themed episodes kind of stuck in the middle of a regular season where they had a different format. I think you know, because neither the Brains vs. Brawns or the dating one had the distractor redemption. And so it was just a little weird that you had some incongruity around how those episodes were. Now, that being said, I would love an entire season of themed episodes, mm-hmm. if that was kind of the thing that they were doing. But it just, it, it seemed a little bit thrown together. And I know that could a hundred percent be COVID related because that's the excuse for everything in 2020, which I'm happy to take it if that's what they tell us it. But uh, I just, it didn't hit in this season the way it did in season two for the US. A big thing that didn't work for me as well, and I alluded to it earlier, is the difficulty of the obstacles. The completion rate was so low this season. And I talked specifically about Dutch Courage and how when we were on season one, maybe 25% of the people got hit by one of the blades or maybe both. This season, nobody got past the first blade. And I get that there's sort of like a psychological thing that they're trying to do with the holes. But to me, 
I don't know. I, to me, that just didn't work. And it's too bad that they're trying to make it really about the obstacles because to me, it makes it a less inclusive show. If you look at who completed some of the really, really difficult holes, foul play, Uranus, slip and putt, they tended to be people that were taller, that were more athletically built, or were just like physically gifted in being taller. So they had a wider stride and gait were getting across a moving log is a lot easier if you're taller because you only have to take three, four steps versus someone who might be a foot shorter. So for me, it's the show's always had a bit built into it where it's about inclusivity and showing a lot of different people playing mini golf because that's what mini golf is. It is for everybody and everybody can do it. And I hope they get away from just trying to make the obstacles so difficult that really the only people that pass them are either physically gifted or really tall. Yeah. And I, th- I think you can also manage that if you want to go that way, right? Because you could do something with the first round where you've kind of set those matchups. So if you put two physically gifted people mm-hmm. together, which we kind of saw in the Brains versus Braun episode, it kind of cancels that out. What you don't want that to happen then is the second round where you don't get to control, obviously, who yep. goes through there to have that advantage. So, I mean, there, there is some tinkering and I, th- I think you're right. And I... I with both of us having played Dutch Courage, even though it didn't make it, I don't think you need to throw that much more psychologically mm-hmm. on the people. Because even in season one, even though we both got through, standing there at whatever time in the middle of the night, freezing, and trying to make sure that you time this right to not get thrown off, even seeing one or two people have it happen to you or have it happen to them before you went... I think it was enough of a psychological yes. challenge to to get in your head. Uh, so for the last thing for me, which is actually kind of funny because I <laughs> talked about how much I liked the redemption in the regular episodes, in the final, it actually didn't land for me. Yeah. And I spent a lot of time trying to think like, well, was it really kind of set up because they had to fill that with just the way the brackets were going to work with math and they you know, really were just not expecting anybody to come out of it. But I, I think they could have gotten around that in a different way. And it just, I can't imagine what would have happened if it would have actually allowed to play out or if it played out in a different manner and that person ended up winning. It just really would have sank the whole season for me. So again, maybe there obviously could have been some production magic around that, but just that part of it at that stage in the game didn't make sense. Keep it to the, the prelims. I think I talked about this in the finale, but it's a weird place to make that decision where you take someone who didn't have any mini golf or golf story going up against someone who's a pro. It almost feels like they're stacking the deck, but who knows? Overall, great season. And um, yeah, we have some hopes for the future seasons that are coming our way. And I'm going to let Pat kick that off. Yeah, so for me, I'd like to see them change up kind of their interlude stuff so we've seen the behind the whole bit and some of the interviews and obviously with this being the first season of australia you again we've had the benefit of seeing multiple seasons of kind of these in between the whole bits and i just think there's especially when we are looking at the u.s season three and season four i think there's only but so much you can do with that um, even if you are introducing new holes in the season and so Let's figure out a different way. You know, you obviously want to highlight the, the stars, um, you know, whether it's Steph or you know, presumably Greg will probably stay on for another season or two. But we could also give that same sort of feel and just 
do more stuff with the competitors. Yeah. I mean, put, put Riggle and one of the competitors together and see how that ends up because I'm sure that would also be amazingly hilarious. So I think there's, I don't know exactly what I would like to see from that, but I hope they just don't run with that as, hey, we need to fill 30 seconds here coming out of commercial, going into commercial, and this is going to be our cadence because this is our thing from now until the end of time. Yeah, I like the animations in season two, but I actually thought they fell flat in the Australian season because they kind of just subbed out some characters and did the whole bits over again. And yeah, I would I would like to see more happen with the competitors. For me, I want to see more of like the clowning around and Frankenbutt type obstacles and gags that the challenge is still the putting and you don't take the control away from the people completely. You put like a psychological thing on it, but it's not like Polcana where depending on the speed that it comes out the pipe, it could be flying well past the hole or with putt the plank where you have no control over where the ball lands on the other side. And Pat and I, before we were recording, we're talking about the many ways that you could fix putt the plank because the theme is great. All of the bits with it are great. The shark is great. But the putting side of it is really unfair for the putters because it's dumb luck. You're going to get a chip that's either really in a good position to make a putt or you could potentially end up in the sand. And if you're the worst putter in the world, you're not going to miss a one-foot putt. And if you're the best putter in the world, making a 20-foot putt over a hump and out of a sand trap is near impossible. So I'd like to see more of those putting-based fun, kind of psychological and playful holes in the future. So this is specifically for Australia, because I think in the US, we've started to see this come around. But let's get to more course marshal Nick time. In the US, we had course marshal Joe. And I think we definitely saw between season one and season two, them hone in on really how to use him in the show as kind of like a fourth, you know, he does not really a commentator because he doesn't speak to it, but a fourth personality that they can lean on, especially on those holes that might need a little bit more of the entertainment side because of whatever's happening on the hole. And so I think they'll get there. And I, I just like having that 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 character. It just it feels very Caddyshack to mm-hmm. me in a way. And it, it again that ties it to the greater golf world and things like that. So season two, Australia, Horse Marshall, Nick. I want more screen time for you, buddy. Here, here. I think for me, I want more single focus episodes. The brain and the brawn and the dating episodes didn't work. But I really like the junior episode. And I think couples and doing things like that could be interesting. And who knows? We've been slagging like the celebrity episode and maybe it was really fun. What we saw from it wasn't all that compelling. But those one-off episodes where someone's playing for charity or you're teaming up family members, I think that could be a lot of fun. And I hope they continue on that. And I'd like to see that too as kind of fit in maybe outside of the seasonal rotations. Yes. Again, Australia was weird with the way they did it, but thinking in the US, you know, there's definitely an opportunity where, you know, a couple of weeks after the season ends, there's there's always weeks where there's reruns or whatever. Yeah. Give give us a a pro athlete version of it. You know, Steph, get your NBA friends and let's have a run and see how they do. Like week before the Super Bowl, like some, you know, time it out like that. I think that's a great idea. But right now, we're going to put a Australian holy moly on pause. We've gotten more than enough from down under. And hopefully this episode has helped you sort of see all of our general thoughts. We're not thrilled about the pace of it, but we still love the show deeply. And we can't wait to talk about 
future episodes of the show in the U.S. But for now, we're going to wrap it up with Big Thoughts Mini Golf. If you've ever seen the 1980s Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn flick Overboard, you probably remember that their dream as a couple was to own their own mini golf course. While we appreciate the passion shown for our favorite game, the overall problematic plot of the movie revolves around Russell's character deceiving and manipulating Goldie Hawn. So if you're gonna enter into the world of mini golf, come in with an honest spirit and passion and leave problematic behavior at the door. In line with that thinking, also remember that mini golf is one of, if not perhaps the top inclusive sport on the international level. On the course and in tournaments, everyone's playing for the same top prize, regardless of color, gender, sexual orientation, or even physical ability. Everyone is welcome, and as ambassadors of the sport, we should be remembered to be friendly and welcoming whenever we're on the course. With that, we're at the 19th hole. Until next time, up when ready. Holy moly, Australia, goodbye.